Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Michael Morris, who is the Director of Transportation for the North Central Texas Council of Governments, or NCTCOG. He was also a guest at one of our recent Trek Talks events, where he met with members of our PAC and Public Policy Committee and outlined his office's agenda, as well as some of the biggest transportation projects affecting our region. It seems like transportation is constantly a hot topic of discussion here in DFW, from roadway and sidewalk improvements to the implementation of emerging technologies like high-speed rail, autonomous vehicles, and vertiports. Quick side note, we actually did a podcast series on several of those transportation systems last year. It was called Transportation Revolution, and those episodes are still available for download, so check those out once you finish today's episode. Please subscribe to TrackCast wherever you get your podcasts and follow the Real Estate Council on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on everything we're doing in DFW and beyond. If you like what you hear today and have an idea for a future episode of TrekCast, you can email me at bsanantonio at recouncil.com. That's B-S-A-N-A-N-T-O-N-I-O at R-E-C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot com. Once again, that's bsanantonio at recouncil.com. Before we get to our interview with Michael, I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, Grant Thornton. Grant Thornton is one of the world's leading organizations of audit, tax, and advisory firms. They've got dedicated real estate professionals across 59 cities to work with REITs, office retail and industrial owners and developers, and property management firms to help mitigate risks and strategically drive growth. Whether you're addressing new government regulations or seeking alternative financing sources, investigating new technologies, or considering strategies for performance improvements, Grant Thornton is here to help you build a strong foundation for the road ahead. And now, here's Michael Morris of the North Central Texas Council of Governments, right here on TrackCast. Michael, thank you so much for chatting with me today. My first question is actually a few different questions in one. What is the North Central Texas Council of Governments? How does it affect the way that our region's different government entities interact with each other? And what are your responsibilities as its director of transportation? So that's a very uh, good question to start us out. Um, I really wear two hats. So the North Central Texas Council of Governments is a voluntary association of local governments and school districts. We have a 16-county jurisdiction under state uh, direction. And uh, we do everything we can to get the voluntary cooperation of local governments and school districts working together and in my case, in the, in the transportation field. We also have a federal responsibility. So the, the most urban 12 counties um, are the metropolitan planning organization for the region. So under federal policy, the, our national government wishes us to work closely with state DOTs and transportation authorities and toll authorities and local governments to expedite and coordinate uh, transportation because the gross domestic product of our country is housed in our most urban regions. So you, you have a business interest. Uh, Congress has a business interest. So they create metropolitan planning organizations to, to connect those dots. During our track talks reception with you on October 7th, 
You mentioned three main initiatives that we'd like to talk a bit more about here. The first was your support for the construction of buildings and other structures on top of freeways and interstates. Arguably the best example of this kind of project is Dallas's own Clyde Warren Park, built over Woodall Rogers Freeway. This project will be especially familiar to our members as Trek Foundation invested a $1.5 million grant to cover the feasibility study of the park. Is this the kind of project that you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's the beginning of the particular concept. And thank you very much for helping us get that done. Woodall Rogers was designed with a big dip in the middle, a, a depressed facility, to try to encourage the downtown to cross over into uptown. Uh, and if you remember the construction of the Crescent uh, Hotel, um, you, you saw the benefits of a depressed facility. Um, Clyde Warren Park then comes in, uh, puts a, a pedestrian cap over the, over the freeway, and just look at the huge success uh, of what has occurred as a result of your participation and others. We're now going back for phase two uh, to extend the park to the west and to now uh, go to the next step, which is to put a building uh, over the freeway. So Clyde Warren Park 2.0 will, will have a structure. Our participation in that project is contingent on a, a structure over the park. In the meantime, we had uh, worked on uh, the Southern Gateway project with a pedestrian cap by the zoo. Uh, you may want, want to talk about that some more. But I think as the region hits 8 million people um, and the price of land continues to escalate in and around our downtowns, you're seeing parking costs now increase significantly like other metropolitan regions, the, the Washington DCs, the Chicago's, the New York's and LA's. We're at a tipping point of, of moving towards a more uh, a mass transportation system, especially in our downtowns, walkable transit rail. Um, you'll see us continue to advocate more efficient land use and more context sensitive design by building more things over depressed freeway facilities. So one of the pro projects that you mentioned, uh, we talked about it a bit just now, uh, the deck park over I-35 by the Dallas Zoo. From your perspective, what factors contribute to bringing that kind of project to fruition? So, so our interest was really twofold. Uh, to grow south, create economic development in the southern sector, you have a historically a traditional uh, lack of economic development in the southern sector. So the question I challenged ourselves uh, on our staff is, what can we do to help expedite economic development in the southern sector? So we conceived of, you know, the next pedestrian cap. We wished it to be as far north as possible, only because we, we thought the affinity of a pedestrian cap closest to downtown uh, would be able to accomplish that. Um, the furthest north we could go was outside the zoo. It has this secondary benefit of being outside the zoo. So now you can imagine uh, events at the zoo that transition onto the pedestrian uh, the pedestrian cap. The second objective, uh, the project was what I call churning. We didn't have a lot of necessary support and focus from the community at five or six percent interest. Uh, the project's going up fifty million dollars a year. So uh, by introducing an exciting element and getting the community to focus on it, uh, 
it probably took two years off the uh, uh, sequencing of the environmental document. We got consensus much faster, lots of excitement around the project. Um, and the money we put into the park is probably half as much as the construction money we saved on inflation. Um, so to, to help gain an expedited consensus and to bring economic development to the southern sector, that was the impetus for our uh, initiation of the What's in store for the future of I-30 East? And then how does that relate to the future of I-345 as it connects to I-30 to US-75 and separates Deep Ellum from downtown Dallas? So very good question and, a, and a one that's been heavily debated over the last uh, probably five years. Let's take Interstate 30 in three bites. So let's take Interstate 30 from 35 over to 45. And then let's take it from 45 to the US-80 split. And let's take I-30 east of the split. Because I think the vision in each of those sections can be, can be very different. So in the downtown section, uh, in partnership with the Texas Transportation Commission, that project is now funded. So that project is moving towards implementation, lots of detail being discussed with regard to ramp locations and how to get in and out of downtown and, and how to create system connections to the horseshoe. And you'll see conversations occurring soon with regard to hopefully the next step in this concept, context sensitive design, which would be putting other buildings on top of the, in this case, the interstate highway, because Woodall, Woodall Rogers is not an interstate highway. So that section is already depressed. As people know, it's below the, the grade. Pretty straightforward to see how you could potentially put, put things on top of that. When you go from uh, 35, excuse me, 45 over to the US-80 split, you're now seeing the, the traditional elevated structure on Interstate 30. So some of us have this desire to see Interstate 30 depressed through that section. Um, similar to the benefit you saw with Woodall Rogers being depressed in that section, uh, hopefully connecting East Dallas into Fair Park and the economic development that can occur. And again, once we introduce the notion of a depressed or a lowered section, then you have this benefit of putting amenities over, over that particular structure. Now, once you get east of 380, I'm not convinced the, the cost of a depressing a facility is needed or warranted. The price of land is very different. The, the mix of economic development is very different. Um, so the, the view and the staging of that is west to east. So you'll see us work with uh, the East Dallas Fair Park community to see if we can get consensus on a thin, depressed facility. Once you bring up that particular concept, you're immediately now layering what the future of 345 could possibly be. 345 will be triggered off of the I-30 process. So TxDOT is lowering I-30 between 35 and 45 as far as it can go and still have a gravitational stormwater uh, runoff of the freeway. They will then review the stacking of the Interstate 45, which is now very high, to potentially have that be in the second stack. By creating that in the second stack, it permits us to potentially depress 345, uh, and it creates the grade of potentially lowering Interstate 30 through East Dallas and, and Fair Park.
What would you say to those that advocate for a teardown of the highway and a replacement with a boulevard and arterial roads? Is tunneling or burying I-345 below ground feasible? So I think all of us have an interest to eventually replace the elevated structure with, with something different. Uh, our office is, is not in the camp of replacing it with a set of arterial streets for for lots of legal reasons and lots of technical reasons, we think that's not a very good idea. But our office is interested in working with TxDOT and the Regional Transportation Council, the City of Dallas and DART, to see if we can lower uh, 345 similar to the existing I-30 is, is depressed, similar to that short section of Woodall Rogers is depressed, and continue the success of uh, the economic de development benefits of depressed or lowered uh, freeway facility. So our office is not uh, supportive of eliminating the freeway and creating arterial streets, but we are very interested and have been for a long time, back to editorials to the morning news, of lowering um, 345 and, and working with the, the layering of 345 and 30 and working with the layering of 345 with the DART light rail D2 uh, construction. DART is working toward building a subway system beneath downtown Dallas. How does that project affect the kind of work that your department is doing? So under federal rule, uh, back to your initial question, we have a responsibility of coordinating the transportation projects within the region to make sure they're not in conflict with each other. I think the D2 vision as it currently goes under the the existing 345 structure is in conflict with lots of our interest to potentially depress 345 in the future. So our office has no interest in changing the alignment of D2. We haven't been heavily involved in D2, but the current, the current grade of D2 coming out of the downtown section is in conflict with our office's interest to depress uh, 345. So people won't know this, but when Interstate 30 was built out towards Arlington, Interstate 30 at 161, a structure, a bridge structure was built on the ground because we knew where the future of 161 was going to be. And then when 161 was built, we just simply dug under the structure and we didn't have to do a complicated construction of Interstate 30 because Interstate 30 was already on a structure. We're taking that concept to this conversation between DART and TxDOT, that is there a way we can work on getting the downtown D2 section up to grade and building the rail structure on the ground? So in the future, when uh, we lower 345, we simply dig under the dark structure and we're not moving a whole bunch of trains uh, when we uh, uh, lower, hopefully, uh, Interstate Highway 345 between downtown and in deep alum. So those conversations are occurring. There are, you know, complicated engineering things of, well, if it comes out of the ground sooner, it has this impact on the thoroughfare streets. So obviously we're in close communication with the city of Dallas. We come from a long history of creating win, 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 win situations. So I'm optimistic that we can get an agreement on alignment to grade on D2, have the ability of lowering 345, working on the utilities and the thoroughfare streets of the city of Dallas, 
and create an opportunity for huge amounts of economic development occurring in that part of our region. The second initiative you talked about during the Track Talks event was a strategy to secure innovative funding sources for transportation projects. What do you mean by innovative? What kinds of funding sources are out there? So let's just take a couple because we could we could go on for a long period of time. Of course. Uh, $900 million is high-speed rail money has been returned from California back to Washington. We have long said someone in this country will not implement their high-speed rail vision. And our region has been working hard to be ready to snag those particular funds that can only be used for that purpose. So one of the important elements of innovative funding is don't use revenue sources that can compete against your projects. Use revenue sources that are dedicated to specific projects. So we are in the process of getting those $900 million uh, to our particular region to help us uh, in extending high-speed rail from downtown Dallas over to Fort Worth, for for example. The other one is the power of... of, um, uh, Borrowing money and leveraging. So, you know, when we were younger and we built, we, we bought a house and we're scared to death when we see a, the interest on a 30-year note. But, you know, we're told, well, you'll have tax advantages on your income tax and, and hopefully your property will escalate over time. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, li- you live your life and now you own your own home and it's worth two or three times what it used to be and you have all those tax advantages. You certainly spent money on interest but you're sitting on a, a huge asset, um, which is the ownership of your house. So I just give that to your listeners as, as an example. So what do we have here? We have the comptroller getting less than 1% interest on teachers' retirement funds, for example. We have a, you open up the newspaper or get on your uh, news every day, Europe is facing negative interest rates. And then you compare that with the cost of construction, which is at 6% inflation. We got 500 basis points uh, between what you get in the value of your revenue and what we're facing with regard to inflation. So DART saved a billion dollars by getting their uh, passenger rail line from DFW to Plano under construction now. We wish to do the same thing. So... Can we partner with the comptroller's office, just as an example, uh, to be able to build uh, projects faster? A third example, and I think we are setting the stage across the whole country, is a system of toll managed lanes. How, how do you build toll managed lanes and have the user help pay, build the project sooner? Uh, we got 635 East to construction in partnership with the commission, Texas Transportation Commission, for $1.6 billion. We have a toll revenue system that will be collected on those managed lanes to help pay for the maintenance over forever, freeing up TxDOT's maintenance money to be able to go to other other projects and construct other facilities. So I think the the art of borrowing, uh, the art of being good at finding revenues that don't compete with each other, and things like toll managed lanes are three of many examples that, that have us build $3 billion a year in transportation projects in our region. Some state leaders have been vocal about transportation funding being allocated from one central source instead of spreading regionally. Can you talk a bit about 
the current funding structure and what you think the best approach would be going forward? So 15, 20 years ago, when the state had no money and our national government had no funds for transportation, and the Metropolitan Planning Organization, my board of directors made up of local elect officials said, we aren't gonna wait for the legislature and we're not gonna wait for Congress to help us solve our own transportation problems. And we're gonna use the tools that the state has to advance either toll roads or toll managed lanes, as an example. And we're very appreciative of our, our elect, local elect officials taking that position. They're absolutely right. We now have groups coming in twice a month from across the United States on, on what is the Dallas-Fort Worth miracle on uh, how mobility has uh, uh, basically uh, been mitigated as a result of the construction of the system, along with you know, rail and other, other transportation investments. So I think it is through that uh, initiative, that, that particular uh, partnership, that um, indicates to us that if we are going to go down this particular path, then we need assurances from the commission that over time, we foresaw over time that eventually we're gonna build our first priority, our second priority, our third priority. Denton County puts, my memory is $100 million in property tax bond funds into 35 to help get 35 going. So. We have this sort of credit union bank of putting monies together to advance these particular projects. But the, the deal that was made with the commission is, if we're gonna go down this path and have our region pay for our own projects, you've gotta honor formula allocation forever. You can't wake up one day after our region builds their top six projects based on the sweat equity and revenue of re revenue from our region and then you just come along with a big payday and fund other things in the state and we don't get our fair share. And we have commitments to that. Um, uh, Commissioner Nichols was on the commission. Now he's a state senator. He has written letters to the commission on that particular point. Um, so if the commission doesn't honor that, meaning revenues in the state just go to whatever happens to go to and we don't honor these formula commitments that's equivalent of taking a hundred million dollars in bond funds from the taxpayers of Denton County and just giving it to someone else in the state I don't think you would want uh, your bank to just go into your bank account after your hard work and go take a thousand dollars out of your account and say well we're gonna go move it to someone else's account so those conversations are occurring. Uh, to be fair to the state leaders, they, they weren't around back then. Yeah. So it's not a hard concept for them to say, well, wait a minute, we have a state interest. We want to fund what the most important projects are to the state. That's no different than we, we have to fund the most important projects in the region. So it's not a, it's not a odd position to take. It's just not consistent with what what the deal was. And I think if, since everywhere in the state is growing so much, I think more of the state has to copy the Dallas-Fort Worth example instead of taking revenues that would be coming to Dallas-Fort Worth and to be used for their particular projects. Finally, your third major priority is taking on the long list of regional projects 
ranging from the $205 million for US 80 and 635 to the $14 billion Dallas-Houston high-speed rail project. How does your office go about prioritizing this list? And how do you prepare to integrate future technology like the Hyperloop, like the autonomous vehicles, and, and Uber Elevate? So let's take the, the most important project uh, that's being done right now is high-speed rail from Dallas to Houston. Uh, and if your listeners are in Houston, uh, it's high-speed rail from Houston to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is funded by the private sector. That's another example of revenues where they don't compete against each other in order to be implemented. Right. So what can our office and the public sector do? And, and basically, what can your listeners do to help get support to the, the, to the private sector coalition that's doing uh, Houston to Dallas high-speed rail and get behind it and help them in any um, fashion in order to do that. I mean, that's, that's our generation's DFW International Airport. And, uh, you know, look at the success of what that airport did for our particular region. You can, you can only imagine connecting the fourth and fifth um, most populated uh, parts of the country, soon to be the third and fourth most populated parts of the country by that particular um, investment. Um, I think because we don't have access to the sea, this region is built on interstate highways, class one railroads and aviation, soon to be high speed rail. Uh, I think we're a, a technology freak to always look at what is the best technology. So it doesn't surprise me that the first high-speed rail investment in the country may be in, in Texas and between Dallas and Houston. I sit on the state's uh, technology task force. So we meet all the time on, on how we can bring technology to the state of Texas um, to benefit the whole state. Um, you're starting to see next generation and we haven't even built high-speed rail and now you're seeing the next generation high-speed rail in Hyperloop. So we're in conversations with that uh, Virgin Hyperloop 1 to see if we wish to be involved in a certification facility or uh, move people and goods, in this case, uh, by that particular uh, technology. You have unmanned aircraft and uh, the whole notion of now moving people and transportation in a third dimension, which is... Uh, getting people up in the air and not having to deal with uh, congestion. We have a major task force of 100 people uh, from NASA all the way down to people that build carbon fiber uh, parts to these unmanned aircraft. I think that is a technology uh, component. Um, I mean, it, I don't think the, the, the lifting is as heavy as if you go back 100 years when someone invented the automobile, we didn't have gasoline stations and we had no pavement to travel them on. So you had to build a transportation system in Texas. The farm to market road system was to get the vehicle out of the mud. Uh, and knowing that history is important. And then service stations to refuel your car. Uh, and then obviously the technology of automobiles. Um, you know, we are at that again in our country from autonomous vehicles to unmanned aircraft to high-speed rail. And I think it's critical all of us, from folks interested in more efficient land use patterns and real estate, all the way to environmentalists that 
that want a, a cleaner uh, environment for our kids and grandchildren. Uh, I think it's critical that we all participate in these conversations and help us do the correct due diligence on these new modes of transportation to see which of these are in the best interest of Texas and more importantly for me, are in the best inter- interest of the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Well, it's certainly an exciting time, both for your office and for transportation projects here in, in Texas. As we start to wrap up, I'd, I'd like to ask, are there any other projects on your radar, some that maybe we didn't talk about that our listeners should be aware of? Well, just just yesterday to just show you, we, we put in an application to uh, the Federal Highway Administration in partnership with the Texas Department of Transportation to advance uh, hydrogen refueling stations between here and Houston. Uh, Toyota has a fuel, an electric fuel cell technology for large trucks. Large trucks are the source of a lot of our nitrogen oxide emissions that affect ozone in our region. If you follow our ozone alerts and TCQ's ozone alerts during the summer, I think one major breakthrough will be to work with the Toyotas of the world on these hydrogen fuel cell technologies, or as we were just talking, refueling stations, potentially for heavy, what previously were heavy duty diesel vehicles, because mm-hmm. you, you put hydrogen in and the emissions of a hydrogen vehicle is water. So wouldn't it be pretty cool to get rid of these particulates and, and uh, small particulates and nitrogen oxide emissions from trucks and, and replace it with a next generation technology hydrogen fuel cell. And, you know, it's an interesting place to be because as Dallas-Fort Worth gets more successful and as people with technologies, bright people have really good ideas, these companies locate in our region like Toyota and it gives us an opportunity to uh, see which of these would be of interest to our region. So every day is a, a new day. Uh, we encourage you to stay involved with us, and we pledge to stay involved with your group uh, to continue to have these discussions on the future of the environment and transportation in our region. How can our listeners get involved with the council and, and support its initiative? So we have a we have a very aggressive public outreach uh, process. Uh, I'd get on the website for the North Central Texas Council of Governments. Uh, I'd volunteer for for our task forces in our workshops. Um, I'd I'd communicate to us positive or negative thoughts with regard to what it is we're trying to do. Uh, We believe in a grassroots, bottom-up, consensus-building process. That's our success. Um, And the more we hear uh, from your listeners with regard to what it is we're trying to do, and frankly, their reaction to this conversation would be very helpful to us as we try to gain consensus moving forward. But stay engaged with us over time because every day is a new day as we try to uh, uh, address the concerns of our almost 8 million residents within the region. Michael, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank today's guest, Michael Morris of the North Central Texas Council of Governments, for chatting with me. Remember to subscribe to TrekCast on your preferred podcasting platform and follow us on social media. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.